Hey, everybody, it's JT from Grilling at the Green. John Breaker and the great folks at Birdie Ball have a short time offer for all of you listeners. You just go to birdieball.com, and when you place your order, there's a place on that form for a discount code. Use G-A-T-G. That's G-A-T-G. Of course, it stands for Grilling at the Green. And you will get 20% off anything you order from birdieball.com. Now, it's a short-time offer. It expires in about a week, so you want to get on it. Go to birdieball.com, place your order, uh, use the code G-A-T-G, and get 20% off. You heard it here on Grilling at the Green. It's time for Grilling at the Green. Join Jeff Tracy as he explores the golfing lifestyle and tries to keep it in the short grass for the hackers, dew sweepers, and turf spankers. Here's Jeff. Just open up the door and let's take good times in. Hey everybody, welcome to Grilling at the Green. Here's where we talk to the interesting and fun characters and carefree souls in the world of golf. And that's what makes it so interesting besides our own frustration chasing the little white ball around. Uh, This segment of Grilling at the Green is brought to you by Painted Hills Natural Beef, Beef the Way Nature Intended, and also Gunter Wilhelm Knives, Unmatched Quality and Efficiency in the kitchen. They're online at GunterWilhelm.com. Um, we're really happy to welcome back today Ryan Ballingy. Ryan is the proprietor of Golf News Network, in which we're kind of affiliated with them. Well, not kind of. Well, we are. And uh, we got a lot to talk about. So, Ryan, welcome. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. No worries. Well, I guess the big um, invisible elephant in the room is what happened to Tiger uh, this week in his automobile accident. Um, we've done a little reporting on it here at the station, but, um, I wanted to get your take on it and for what we really know and what's going on. It seems like his best evidence is available that, uh, Woods was involved in a single car wreck where he struck the median, flew over the median and his car rolled over a number of times, uh, maybe dozens, maybe just a few, however many. Sure. Uh, then wound up uh, the opposite way on a hillside in a, a neighborhood in Rancho Palos Verdes, about a half hour south of L.A. And uh, from everything that we've heard from the L.A. County Sheriff's Department and their investigation of the wreck, it was some kind of freak accident. Uh, not that there was any foul play involved, not that there uh, was any illicit drugs or substances involved or in Tiger's part or anybody else's part. Uh, but something happened on that road where Woods lost control and suddenly hit the median and uh, wound up where he did and is very fortunate to be alive. Oh, absolutely. And if you um, read some of the reports, they were talking about on his right leg, the tibia and the uh, fibula. They had to do some major work on that, plus some soft tissue work. The thing that kind of, from my perspective, Ryan, is when they said he kind of, sh- and I don't know the extent of the damage, but he shattered his ankle, crushed his ankle, whatever terminology you want to use. That makes me cringe, first of all, because I've known people that have had that happen. And I will say this, because I do hope that Tiger makes it through this and comes back um, to whatever degree he possibly can, which, you know, it's, it's Tiger. He knows no limits. But people that have really damaged their ankle have a really tough time. They never seem to get over it Uh, from perspective in my world. Some people I've known, 
Uh, every once in a while, there's some bone chips or something that have to be taken out or, you know, like that. So uh, I understand the rod and the leg in the upper bones, but to me, I would be more worried about that ankle than anything. I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, I, I think tibia, amphibia, uh, those types of injuries, those types of breaks, provided there's not some degree of infection in either the healing process or the operation process, they're fairly common and the recovery is generally pretty good. Sure. But like you said, um, there's, I guess, two big issues here. One, yes, absolutely the ankle. Um, there's the possibility of creating an arthritic condition that could be really painful and difficult to manage. It, you're, you may just not feel the same confidence you once felt on it. You got to kind of learn to use it again. It's mm-hmm. effectively like getting a new ankle because it's been repaired so, such that way. So there's going to be a, a learning curve there too. And then I, I guess with the the compound fracture piece of it too, you know, I don't know how many fractures it could have been two, could have been a hundred. You don't know, right? right? And we're not going to. But same deals what you said with the ankle. It could be chipping. There could be the need for other surgeries to repair. Uh, those compound fractures, perhaps another one's created or, you know, hairline one is created and then all of a sudden you have to do work there. So I don't know if, and I'm pretty certain this is not the last surgery Tiger's going to have or set of surgeries Tiger's going to have related to this injury, the extent of which that we don't know, he doesn't know. And then, yeah, you're you're basically kind of learning to walk on your, your right leg again. So there's a, there's a steep curve here from getting out of the hospital bed to potentially playing competitive golf someday. So right. there, there's a lot of work ahead if, if that's the desired end goal for him. And the one guy that could do that is him. Um, you know, we've seen him come back from back surgeries and knee surgeries and all that. And, and no, you're having had a few of those myself. <clears throat> you don't come back 100%, but I think Tiger's in the 95% plus uh, echelon there just through his grit and determination is, you know, workout routines, what have you. I wanted to say though, when we were talking about the ankle, um, Ryan is that I, I came from the horse world and knee and ankle injuries are quite common. And so you could always tell somebody that had a, a damaged ankle by the one, the way they walked and two, um, they could walk normal for a great period of time and then all of a sudden it was like they were almost immobile because as you mentioned there's a little little bone chip a little bone spur that's grown in there and it's very very painful and um so it's it's going to be a steep curve for him i think i will say to, to tiger's credit i mean if there's someone who can manage pain at least that we've seen over a longer period of time it would seem Tiger Woods is a candidate for for that, given the volume of knee surgeries he's had. Now five back surgeries, obviously managed four of them until the the recent one in December. Uh, the 2017 period where he's dealing with some kind of level of narcotics use or painkiller use uh, aside, he's dealt with a lot of injury, surgery, and recovery, and has managed that extremely well. So if that if there is a bright side to having been operated on so many times and come back from all of those things. Uh, at least that he has that experience knows pretty well what's in front of him in terms of a lengthy recovery and will be willing to put in the work. And if he wants to 
be a competitive golfer again, has that kind of drive that almost beyond drive uh, obsession, even to be able to get back to a place where he could be competitive, whether he ever does that or not is completely up to him, of course, but I wouldn't put it past him to at least try. I'll make you a a friendly wager beings. We're going to talk about wagering in the rest of the show here. I bet within six weeks, he's chipping and putting (laughs) might be on crutches, but he'll be chipping and putting. Um, He just, uh, you know, we hear when we hear the stories and they're there, you don't get a whole lot of information about tiger, especially in his injuries and stuff. But I've always loved the fact when, you know, the doctor says, okay, if you feel like it on Thursday, you can go ahead and do that. And I think at 1201 Wednesday night, Thursday morning, he's out there in his backyard on the practice area doing that. I just, I just envisioned that for some reason, I have no way of verifying that or not, but I think that, I think he'll probably do that. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a, he's so motivated in the sense that you kind of, I mean, you, to be a greatest athlete of all time, you have to be that kind of, you have to have that kind of self-motivation, right? You, you have to be obsessed with what you want to do uh, and everything else be damned to accomplish it. So there's that part of it. But I do think he has also become more trusting of the medical process because he is older, because he's been through this so many times, because of the back surgery stuff. He went to the brink of not being able to play again and, and found a way back. Um, so I don't think he's going to necessarily try to endanger his physical well-being just as a human being. Sure. Put an athlete aside. But, yeah, I think the day that the surgeon – or his team or whatever, whoever that person is that tells him, all right, let's, let's get started on the, on the path back. I, I think he'll be chomping at the bit for, because what else is he going to do? He's a bazillionaire um, with a whole lot of time on his hands, other than caddying for his son in junior tournaments. And, you know, yeah. really even do that on a bum leg. So he's, he's going to want to have something to do. And I think this would very easily fit that gap when he's given the green light, whenever that may be. I think you're right. We're talking with Ryan Ballingy from Golf News Network, and we're going to be back here on Grilling at the Green in just a couple minutes. Please stay with us. everybody it's jt and this is a special version of grilling at the green grilling at the green is brought to you in part by painted hills natural beef beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends that's painted hills natural beef welcome back to grilling at the green i'm jt with like the folks at painted hills natural beef uh, beef like your grandfather raised. You know, I've been um, representing those folks for years, and it truly is a great product. You can find a store near you by going online to PaintHillsNaturalBeef.com. Find their store locator, and it works out well. And also, Ben Hogan Golf, tour quality clubs, factory direct prices. Check them out at BenHoganGolf.com. And uh, as of this morning, Ben Hogan just re-upped with us. So we'll have them here for another year, and we thank them for that. We're talking with Ryan Ballingy, the proprietor of Golf News Network. Um, we've been talking a little bit about sports betting, and uh, now I want to ask how in particular with golf and especially 
I'm sure most of this is focused on the PGA Tour, maybe some of the LPGA Tour, because uh, I really don't know much about it. I'm just being honest. I ha I haven't followed it that closely. You know, I was involved in a fantasy football thing a few years ago. That was fine, but I really haven't paid attention to the golf stuff, Ryan. Can can if you if you're savvy and you pay attention to that, is there a chance that you could actually do well if you knew what you were doing? Yes, but you have to be kind of nuanced in what you're trying to do. So, I mean, there's I I like to tell people golf is the most bettable sport that there is because you can bet on every shot, sure, conceivably. And you can bet on every hole, you can bet on every round, you can bet on every outcome of a tournament. So it depends on what you're looking to bet. And a lot of people like to try to pick a winner. They like to try to pick the person who's going to win the tournament because that usually gets you the best payout, right? I mean, sure. Also pretty hard to do. Uh, Max Homo was 51, 50 to 1 last week. Sometimes you get a 200 to 1 shot like uh, Robert Streb at Sea Island. A lot yeah. of weeks you get a 14 or 18 to 1 shot. Uh, like Patrick Cantlay or someone like that, or Dustin Johnson. Yeah. So you, you don't know from week to week, but you're trying to pick some measure of guys with different degrees of liability. So, uh, you know, if you think Dustin Johnson is going to win, I think he was what six to one to start the week. Maybe you put $20 on him to win $120. But if you think, let's say Joaquin Neiman, who's I think 50 to one this week, think he's going to win. We put five bucks on him. You're trying to win the same amount of money. basically. Yeah. Just nuancing it. Yeah. But I think for a lot of people who are a little bit more advanced, they look at matchups. They look at the sports books will take two players or whether they're grouped together or not, or three players grouped together or not and say, all right, who's going to have the lowest score for this one round or all 72 holes of, of a tournament? And you pick who you think is going to win. And that, that, I think, in the long haul is the best way for anyone who's interested in golf betting to be profitable. Because if you can find matchups you can exploit and bet on those a little bit more substantially. The, the odds are lower. You know, the, the odds of winning a, a, a two person matchup are that maybe they're, they're not, they're like winning a, a coin flip basically right? a little bit better than a coin flip odds. And so you're not going to win tons of money for one win, but if you find the right matchups and can consistently win more than 50% of the time, then yeah, you can rack up wins over the long haul. So people kind of get lost thinking about betting the tournament winner. I think that can be a fool's errand over the long haul. I mean, it's fun, but it's the fool's errand to profitability. Right. But if you're trying to make money over the long haul, you probably want to wager on individual matches over the course of a tournament. And then maybe throw in top 10 and top 20, some places offer top 40 bets on players, which again, worse odds, but more certain outcome. And that's kind of what you're looking for. Sure. I mean, it's just if if you play blackjack ever and you know that, you mm -hmm. know, you you stand on 14, you don't take a you, you know, you don't take a hit when it's your hand is 18 and the dealer is 12. It, sometimes you just go with a gut hunch, but most times it doesn't work out very well. You know, there is some math involved. Yeah. I'll, I'll put it. I mean, it's, this is a, it is the most bettable sport, but from trying to pick a winner every week it's the most difficult to win because you, I mean, with this week with the WGC, we've got 72 players. None of them are going to miss the cut. And you could rule out a bunch of them based on the ones that qualified or aren't playing well, or all that stuff. Even at the end of the day, even if the ones you can rule out, there are still probably 30 players who could easily win this tournament. And you wouldn't be surprised if they did. Right. So are you going to bet enough money to cover 30 potential winners? No, you'd be insane. So you kind of have to pick and choose your spots. And I think that's where matchups kind of come into play. But like you said, if you 
is you organize your betting as best you can to, to manage risk, just like you do in blackjack. You play by the book. Yep. You can give yourself not an edge compared to blackjack, but you can give yourself closer to an edge. You can give yourself a better chance of coming out ahead at the end of the day. Is there a limit or is there a time when they close bets on a certain round? Or like if you didn't bet the night before on tomorrow's round or early that morning, what have you, but you get up and you're following the PGA app or you're watching it on the boob tube or whatever, and you say, and they're two holes in for that round, you say, you know, I like the way Max Homa is playing today. I'm going to put 50 bucks on him. I mean, what are the parameters like that? That's a great question. So there's a two-pronged answer. So you, if, let's say you want to bet for the, the tournament winner, right? And you want to bet Max Homa 50 to 1 before the tournament. Well, that, those betting lines close as soon as the tournament starts, as soon as first balls are in the air. Sure. If you have a matchup bet, as soon as the first of whatever two or three players, or sometimes a group of four players, first of them play, the bet closes, right? So pre-tournament bets or pre-round bets close as soon as the first player involved in that bet plays. Mm-hmm. But the proliferation of live betting has really made it possible for people to dive in as things go. So uh, odds adjust on players to win the tournament after every round. So you can do, can re-up your bet or change your bet or add a new bet uh, as a round concludes. You can also bet as the action happens, and the odds will change with the outcome of every hole. And they'll lock bets for a couple seconds, they'll recalibrate, they'll come back live, and you can suddenly bet again. So if you've kind of got this feeling a couple holes in on, on Sunday, some people did this with Brooks Koepka in Phoenix, you know, he's playing pretty well, seven holes in, the leaders aren't doing anything. I think we're going to throw a little bit of money on him. You're getting them at 20, 25 to one to win the tournament. Well, that's a great deal because sure. you've got 54 plus holes already done. You don't have that many left. So you only have to sweat a little bit. Uh, so there are a lot of ways to do it. I think it varies by state. Some states don't allow as much in the way of what you can bet on and when you can bet on it. So you kind of have to check your jurisdiction. But if if you can do the live betting piece of it, that can be a positive. You can find some values, especially in Thursday and Friday play, when someone who maybe you thought would be playing better is kind of lagging behind, but they're not out of it. Or alternatively, someone who is a long shot that suddenly has showed up but is not getting respected because they're unlikely to win. So there, there are some ways to play. Again, it's, it all comes down to managing your risk. Um, and if you don't have a whole lot of risk you want to manage, you just – Place your bets before the tournament, sit back and hope it works out. But if you're trying to do this from a, a long-term investment standpoint, then you, you kind of got to find different ways in to manage risk and kind of hedge against maybe your your bets that are less likely to be successful. There you go. We're going to take a break here on Grilling at the Green. Ryan and I will be back in just a couple minutes. Hey, it's JT, and this part of Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Ben Hogan Golf. Check them out online at benhogangolf.com. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green. I'm JT, and today we're talking with my buddy Ryan Ballingy from Golf News Network. Before we jump in with Ryan again here, I want to thank the folks at Langdon Farms Grill. As you know, the COVID restrictions are easing up all around uh, a bit, and so um, they're having their prime rib specials on Friday nights. They'll be starting their Tuesday night rib specials on that. And don't forget, you can still play golf. They set a new record for rounds at Langdon last year. And that was due to COVID, actually, because that was one of the things we could do here. 
So, you know, if you're driving down I-5 and you get to uh, south of Wilsonville there, just check out Langdon Farms. All right, let's get back with uh, Ryan Ballinger from Golf Newsnet. You know, we saw this coming as far as the availability to bet kind of across state lines, if you were, uh, on golf, and you've started to get into that. Why don't you tell us what you're doing, first of all? Yeah, so we, for a number of years, we've, we've talked about fantasy sports, uh, then daily fantasy came along. And then in the last couple of years, we started to talk more about uh, betting odds and, and sports betting, uh, just for the number, you know, the small number of states at the time sure. where it was legal, basically Nevada and, and New Jersey. And as more states have come online, obviously, there's been a big surge in that amount of content, not only just from us, but I mean, from everywhere, every which corner, you're getting something about sports betting. And so we've, over the years, uh, kind of been out front on this. And a couple of years ago, came up with uh, our, our golf model. We do this every week for the PGA Tour, try to model the field based on long-term data, uh, both you know, two years out and one year out, and try to give people a sense of how to rank the field uh, each, each, every week. And then now that sports betting is actually legal in Virginia, the state adjacent to where I am in Maryland, I can drive over the border and play some actual bets. And, uh, instead of just kind of making recommendations or, or things like that. Sure. So it, it, it's been good. Uh, we've, we've been pretty successful with the model over the, the last couple of years. Uh, now we actually get to use it. So, uh, fortunately last weekend we were able to hit max home on 50 to one and picked up 2,500 bucks. So a pretty good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you think that, um, cause you're involved with this, I'm not at all really, but, uh, do you think that eventually it will become, except maybe for a few standout States, uh, you know, legal uh, sports betting to me is, is, I mean, people have been betting on sports, whether it was 2000 years ago and you were betting a camel or a goat, you know, on your favorite stickball team or whatever they played up to where we are today. What, what's your prognosis for the future of this? I think we're probably within five years going to see it in 40 states um, for a couple of different reasons. One, here's a good example here in Maryland. We had a, a measure on the ballot because the state constitution had to be changed to legalize sports betting. Sure. And there was a referendum. It passed easily. Why? In part because every surrounding state had already voted or already authorized or was already doing legal sports betting. Delaware, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, West Virginia, and Virginia. All of them had approved it. So what was Maryland missing out on? Tax revenue from Marylanders who, like me, could just drive over the border, place their wager, and then return to where they were. So Maryland's figuring that out. I think there are a bunch of states where that kind of thing is potential, particularly on the eastern half of the United States, where they're a little bit closer together. And then the second part of it is, I think, with COVID and losing so much tax revenue from sales tax and, and other ways of raising money kind of through transactions beyond property tax, states are hurting. They're losing a lot of money. Sure. Uh, and they're, they're going to have to make that up in some fashion. And I think ultimately, when that type of thing happens, states start to look to get a little creative. Well, Right now, there are a couple of, I won't say easy, but they're relatively easy fixes, and that's legalizing sports betting, and potentially that, that's the legalization of recreational use of marijuana. And you're seeing that proliferate in a number of states, both those types of measures, 
And frankly, some of those are in places where you wouldn't expect it because maybe they have a reputation as a state of being more conservative. But, sure. Uh, they, they've also been willing to kind of open up what's considered legal in, in the name of tax revenue. So I, I think those two reasons come together to bring legalization more across the board in, in, in the next five years. Is there a, is there an issue back in your area with you? You mentioned, you know, marijuana and that. Well, we have dispensaries on every corner <laughs> out here in Oregon now, which is great. You know, um, I'm not a I'm not a big fan because a few times in college when I tried it I ended up eating a whole box of Cheerios, but you know, but and that's a true story. But the the point is is that you know federally they're still having issues with with banking their money. You know it's still cash only. Um, right. They have to really work through some hoops to get the money into. Um, uh, you know, instruments that they can use to, to do their business and things. So uh, is there any of those issues um, for sports betting back in your area? No, it seems like the financial side of things is much simpler for sports betting compared to marijuana transactions. And that's largely because at the federal level, marijuana is still considered a controlled substance. Right. So there are certain restrictions that come with that, Right. That's not really the case here with sports betting because it's not illegal. It's not illicit at the federal level. It's just not formally regulated at the federal level. So they've left that to the states. So from a financial perspective, getting into sports betting, for better or for worse, is as easy as using your debit card or hooking up to your bank app and hooking up your your checking account. Right. So that makes it incredibly accessible. And in one sense, that's really good for the industry, I guess, because you can get people involved pretty easily. There are lots of promotions and enticements to get people engaged, but ultimately that can also have a downside too, right? Because if you get people who are inclined to have an addiction, they have really easy access to sports betting just from their phones sitting on their couch. Same stuff as folks who are betting on stocks using Robinhood with money they really can't afford to lose. Um, there, there's a definitely a potential downside there, but for for folks who can manage their bankroll, so to speak, and their risk, uh, the, the ease of with which they can get involved is pretty pretty simple. There's a low bar. When you say you drive across the the state line to from Maryland to Virginia, and you are going to place your bet, um, and I'm sorry, I, I mean I've been to your state, I've been to all those states back there multiple times, but I never really paid attention, and I haven't been back there for several years. Are there casinos there, or do you actually just have a freestanding brick and mortar sports bet business that you can do? I'm just curious about that. Sure. So here's the intriguing thing about our particular dynamic with Maryland, Virginia, and the District of Columbia. I'll throw them into. So I probably live. 20 minutes from the district of Columbia, 25, 30 minutes from Virginia proper. Sure. And to use either of the mobile, use any of the mobile apps that are approved in DC or Virginia, you have to be physically located in the state to place those bets. And that makes sense. So you have to drive over the border, you place your bet, and then you can actually cash out uh, using wherever you are. So you can go home, and if you win your bet, you can cash out your money from home. You don't have to drive back into that jurisdiction. Sure. Of it. But in Maryland, we have licenses for, I believe, is six brick-and-mortar casinos in the state. Virginia just approved brick-and-mortar casinos via referendum and local referendum in uh, the 2020 election. So they're just starting to get to work on having brick-and-mortar casinos. D.C., alternatively, 
their their sports betting is all regulated by the state law or the state the district lottery. So they actually are the bookie for most of the District of Columbia, <laughs> which is really weird. So there's all kinds of different dynamics going on between brick and mortar doing the sports betting. Who, who gets the license? I mean, that's a big kind of jockeying position sure. in Maryland. It was in Virginia because in Virginia, if you were affiliated with an existing sports team, you were allowed to open your book first. Well, that was DraftKings because they have a, a partial ownership stake from Dan Snyder, who owns the Washington football team. So that's why they were first to the market. Sure. Well, they and so there's there's a really interesting set of politics being played in each jurisdiction. None of them are exactly the same. And all of these sports books, which are trying to get into each of these jurisdictions as soon as possible, they're all jockeying, playing different games to be able to do it. Man, <laughs> it's just so interesting the way that works here. We have a lot of um, Indian casinos here in the West Coast, mm -hmm. especially in the Northwest. Every virtually every tribe has their own casino or plural casinos, or they're affiliated with another group that owns one and they get some benefit from it. You know, they'll buy a hundred acres, let's say. 50 miles or 100 miles from where they actually are originating from. And so there's been lawsuits and stuff, but, you know, you can't really stop people from buying property if they can afford it. So uh, they usually win on that, on those text cases. We're going to take a break here on Grilling at the Green. We're going to be back with Ryan Ballingy from Golf News Net in just a minute. Please stay with us. Hi, everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green. I'm JT. And speaking of good stuff, we've got, we've got, a few minutes here before we wrap. And like I said, Ryan's going to be on the after hours part of the show. Do you think that the sports betting helps the image of professional golf or hinders it? Because there's some people that don't like, you know, if you will, the NCAA type mindset where they, you know, they don't want athletes to get a free uh, Big Mac. And so, um, the, and there's people like that out there, and God bless them. That's their, uh, you know, right to think that way. But do you think it helps or hinders? I think it has the potential to help and has the potential to hinder. I think that's still being kind of worked out. And I, I see it in my Twitter timeline. I mean, people follow me for myriad reasons. Maybe because I, uh, they might think I'm funny. If they have a warped sense of humor, they might think I have <laughs> something informational to say. They might like my picks. Um, any of those reasons and, and everyone has a different interest in watching professional golf. Sure. And I think that there's a percentage of the population that wants sports betting out of it. They don't want to be inundated with something they're not interested in. It's not like everyone bets. So it's, it's, I think a, a line they're going to have to cross over the next or co over the next couple of years, not go too far over, not go too far behind of keeping people who are interested in golf uh, because of the betting side of it engaged while not turning off these traditional viewers who don't want any part of sports betting and which is totally fine. I, it's, yeah. it's different strokes for different folks. And if you don't want that as part of your content, 
you know, in watching professional golf, then you have to kind of appeal to that too. You can't just go all in on sports betting. You're going to alienate somebody. So there's going to be a a finer point that's going to have to be figured out here over the next couple of years. And we're just in the first part of this. Sure. I think the, the, the difficulty is going to be in trying to assure people that are maybe skeptical about this, that there's no ethical problems between the players and the caddies and how people are betting, or frankly, a fan, once we get those back in mass, uh, trying to affect the outcome because of a wager that they have. Golf is one of the few sports where quiet is required and someone yelling all, all of a sudden could dramatically affect the outcome. Yep. Um, so that's something that there's a legitimate worry about, I think, in, in the years ahead. Will it be a rampant problem? Probably not. Might it happen once? Yeah. And there's going to have to be a reaction to that. So I think there's a whole lot of potential problems and a whole lot of potential positives that come from this. And a lot of it's just going to be figuring it out as we go. I think this is just my opinion, Ryan, but I think there's still that, if you will, that Pete Rose syndrome Mm. that hangs over some people's thought processes about sports betting. Um, and, And I could be way off on that, but. You know, Pete Rose pops up in the news every year or so for some reason because he's denied the Hall of Fame again or whatever. And everybody's got their own thoughts on that. But I I really think to kind of add to what you were saying a minute ago is that that's kind of a mindset for that puritanical thought process about sports betting. That's just my opinion and people certainly can disagree with it, but why don't you give us your thoughts? Cause we just got about a minute or so left here. Yeah, I think it, it, it's such an interesting time to be involved in this space because for, for decades we've looked past that we've let people bet in the dark or go overseas with their money or have their local bookie. And, and all of a sudden we now have this regulated process that, is becoming increasingly widespread and giving these sports leagues, frankly, an infusion of cash that I don't know if they ever thought about until it became apparent that they could get it. And now they're going to have to figure out how to balance integrity, how to balance fan interest, how to balance all kinds of other pieces of this that maybe we don't understand yet. And it's going to take some time to work it out. So I think for people who are maybe worried that it's going to go too far, they're probably right. At some point, it's going to go too far, and then we're going to rein it in. That's kind of how these things work in this country. We do something too much, and then we rein it back. So yeah. it may be off-putting for a little while. It's off-putting for me to watch nothing but sportsbook commercials here in the D.C. Virginia area. Um, every commercial is about sports books right now. And eventually, <laughs> that will come back yeah. to the median, just like it did with Daily Fantasy Sports. So, yep. yeah, prepare to be annoyed for a little while, but eventually – Everyone will go to their separate corners and it'll work out. Okay. Yeah, it'll get sorted. Ryan Ballingy from Golf News Network. By the way, um, if you put on the the radio link or icon on Ryan's homepage, you drop down, there's grilling at the green right there. So uh, I want to thank you for being on the show today, Ryan. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And we will be back next week with another edition of Grilling at the Green. And I hope you all have a great week. Just open up the door and let's take good times in. Tomorrow's gonna be better. Grilling at the Green is produced by JTSD Productions, LLC, in association with Salem Media Group, all rights reserved. 
And remember, the key to lower scores, a pencil with an eraser. See you next week.